okay, so let's talk about this like film score. I know we just talked about it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, outside, but just tell me again. Like I've never heard it before. Okay. Um. So I was uh, asked to score a film. Right, you can have that sugar. Open it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm Open drinking tea right now, everybody. Uh. So I got asked to do this film score, and um. I guess I scored one movie several years ago. Um. Right when I first started writing music, I wrote it for couple acoustic guitars but this is a, a, a bit larger project and a little higher budget film not, definitely not by any means a high budget real deal hollywood film this is what happens when as i'm about to say that i got asked to do this only because the producers realized that they did not have the rights to the music that was already there i'm not sure exactly what happened but uh they'd used a couple of my tracks uh for things and then i got a call last week saying that uh it turns out that we don't have the rights to all this stuff and it's already you know premiered in several cities and everything but we don't have the rights to it uh so what are you doing next week do you want do you want to score it for us do you want to do you want to score a film <laughs> do you want to score a film and it's you know it's not it's not the entire hour long it's they're probably probably about six significant sections of like a minute and a half each so it's you know it's it's a substantial work i mean if it were i certainly never write music this quickly that i'm writing for myself because i very much labor over my production and that's something we probably talk about when we talk about my own compositions my own real compositions i might say this is um, okay, but so it's yeah, sort of that's interesting fun. that's interesting that you don't consider this real, real composition movie. yeah yeah. Shit, yeah i mean i you know there are some things actually that i was fooling around with where i was like oh maybe i can adapt this to somewhere else but um yeah i don't consider this too much you know i'll have my name behind it and everything but i'm i'm, I'm doing i'm doing a service here but, but i've if, actually had a go, sorry but go but if you're not but if you don't think why don't you just use a pen name if you don't you know because i I still want people to know that I did it. I mean, ultimately, I think I will be happy with it, and I'll just see it as sort of a different a different thing that I do. Um, it doesn't seem like antithetical to what I do artistically. It's just not exactly, you know, in line with my artistic stuff. Do you hope to turn this into something that will be like, okay, this is something I can do because technically I have the skills to do it? You know, it, it's not like my serious work, but it's like a to pay the bills type of thing. I, I have thought about that this week. I mean, I'm like, this is kind of fun. I, I enjoy doing this. Um, but as I was saying to you earlier, I just had a talk with the, one of the directors for the first time. And, and he was like, oh, yeah, can you edit this? Can you add this? And I was like, oh, this isn't as fun as I thought it was going to be because I actually have to change stuff. So <laughs> it's not as easy breezy as I thought it initially was. Um but I, yeah, I mean, it is something that I, I thought more and more about getting into. I mean, it, it's interesting because it really comes from my side of being more interested in computer music and electronic media and everything lately. Um, and that's that's one of the reasons why this stuff is interesting to me because it's like giving me an excuse to learn how to create some nice electronic drum tracks, you know, and like I, I don't really have the excuse to do that otherwise, but I think that it is something that will come into my music um, to some extent. Um, so I sort of, it's like helped me get to know my software a lot better. Yeah. But the guy, but the guy's like, I don't like this change it. And all of a sudden you're like, Oh, oh my God, I have a boss. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like... Yeah, it's true. And I, I had said to my wife yesterday before I talked to the director and I was like, you know, I, I knew that initially when I was thinking about scoring music, you just hear from people uh, scoring films, you hear from people they're in the business that like, oh, you, or even people who aren't in the business. It's like you just can't be too invested in your music because the director can say he doesn't like it and then you got to trash it. Uh, and I was like, but really, I'm fine with it. I don't feel too invested in this stuff. And then after this conversation, I was like, oh, I don't really want to change that. Like, are you doing this for like a flat fee where all of a sudden it's like, this isn't worth the money. You're yeah, fucking, you're fucking writing me like day in and day out for five hundred dollars. Fuck right. that. Hourly fee doesn't really like people don't really do that too much. Be probably because if you like if you want it to be good. Generally, anytime you look at the hourly fee when you're doing something remotely creative, it's like kind of sad if you actually look yeah, at it. So he's like, why don't you just take a flat fee? Um, but I was able to negotiate for some more. Um, it, you know, so far it is, it has been fine with the amount of time and I'm certainly getting paid more than I do doing other stuff. Um, and it, it has been viable for me as well. Yeah. yeah. I can, you know, it's true. I guess like a commission is a flat fee. Right. And yeah, then you're yeah. like, really? If I got, you know, yeah. so you're like, oh, $2,000. That's like <laughs> that's not huge. bad for something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Someone that that's like, that's, you know, right. that, you know, that's kind of sweet. That's like, you know, that's definitely an, of course for me. I'm like, of course. Right. Yeah. Right. Oh my God. Right, I'm getting right. paid. Right. And then you like do the math in the middle of the night, just for shits and giggles, you know? Right. And you're like, Oh my God. Yeah. This yeah. is technically illegal. Uh, yeah, <laughs> like, I know. This is I know. below minimum wage. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. totally. Um, so it has been nice. I mean, we'll see how how long the process drags out um, with these edits. But another thing that I knew, I knew that it wouldn't take that long because I knew that they needed to get it done quickly. So they probably won't come back to me too many times requesting edits. But it has been, I've been like, oh, this is sort of a nice lifestyle. Like I could, you know, 
work on this stuff during the day than like have a beer at night, go for a run, you know, and then uh, the day's over, start the next day. And um, I, I think I feel more, maybe it's just more so now because I finished a teaching job this past year, um, full-time teaching job at, at Amherst College. I had a real salary for the first time in my life. It was like money I could live off of and money I could save, money I could use to pay off some <laughs> debt <laughs> and everything. Uh, and I was like, oh, this is kind of nice. And going into the music world, you know, 10 years ago, I was like, I'll be poor. Sure, that'll be fine. And that's where, I, that's where I'm at. You and know? now you're like all your friends around you are, or, or at least a lot of my friends have had real jobs for a while now. And it's like, you know, starting families and things. And it's like, oh, it's not as easy to say that now as it was back in the day. Like, okay, maybe I should do this thing at Amherst. Maybe I should like look into film stuff. Yeah, you, it's funny because like, I don't you, think it are actually you for a way or I don't actually I don't actually think it's the outside pressure. I mean, maybe it is. I haven't thought about that. Maybe it's subconscious, but for me, it's just sort of like, man, I could use a bigger apartment. It would be nice to have. <laughs> mm. <laughs> It'd be nice to have a nicer place, or not having to worry about, yeah, you know, worry about all these things about how uh, bills are going to get paid. And I mean, I'm I'm okay financially for now. Um, but there there are always these big decisions to make about like, yeah, which path do I pursue? I mean, I, I think the big thing now, which we sort of touched on is do i look into tenure track jobs when it means moving away from new york and when it means hurting my productivity as a composer but it means having a stable job and teaching and i love teaching this is part of the reason why that would be actually be good for me you like but teaching like, yeah yeah okay, that's i, like I mean that, that's good yeah it is good a lot of people who teach don't like teaching right and it's and it's and it's because they're a composer and it's like fuck i have to figure out something right you know because my wife's father is a doctor right he <laughs> right, judges right. me i don't know i'm just you know I'm yeah just, yeah i'm just joking no I, but. it's fortunate that i do i mean I, last year i didn't love the how it took some time away from composing but you know ultimately i think i, I was productive as i would have been otherwise and um i had i think i had a pretty blessed experience up at amherst because it was only two classes a semester and the students were great so I think there are a lot of shitty teaching jobs out there and I don't want to, I don't want to take one of those. That's but. what I mean. Just like fucking like, I mean, this is what happened to me is that I got into a PhD program and uh -huh. then like, I just kind of like looked down the road a little bit. Yeah. Four or five years down the line. And it was yeah. like me in the Midwest teaching the hackiest fucking students, right, right. like counterpoint or something like that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I'm like, Oh my God. No, <laughs> yeah. I can't do that. You yeah, know? I, and then you know, like I, I kind of like bailed on the whole thing. Right, but that's cool that you like teaching. Then, yeah, because... I actually do like teaching counterpoint. Even I had a, I had a great time teaching species counterpoint. How could you like teaching year. counterpoint? It's boring. Uh, I know, but when well, I, I actually had think one teacher. I actually I think, think counterpoint is good at teaching counterpoint. I actually think counterpoint is really fascinating. I mean, come on, Baltimore Clavier, like that's some amazing shit right there. Like that's that's beautiful i mean I, I wasn't teaching some uh, 18th century counterpoint but this was species, species counterpoint it is sort of a dry topic but i think if you can wrestle the musicality out of it and the fun out of it and students notice that and appreciate that um it, it can be really rewarding if if you can do that it's i guess it's kind of tricky to do you know there's I, not much fun in it or something you know <laughs> yeah i mean i think blood from I a stone is, getting um, fun out of counterpoint <laughs> yeah are you going to be are you going to start looking for teaching positions now yeah or? i mean i think i'll but you want to stay I'll in New be, York. I want to stay in New York. I mean, yeah, so that's not really possible, right? Uh, I think the plan is I'm going to I'm going to see what jobs are available in this upcoming year and see, you know, if there are fantastic jobs that are out there, um, you know, like Northeast New York area, not necessarily like close to New York, but a, a travelable distance to New York what wouldn't be so much of a pain to get down here. If there are those sorts of jobs that, are seem like they would work out well and then places i'd like to teach then i'll apply for them um and then probably in you know maybe a couple years down the road three years down the road or something i'll do a, a broader search when it, we feel like my wife and i feel like it's time to you know live somewhere and settle down that place but claudia is i mean she's doing the bar right now you told me to yeah. do that which means she can only practice law in, in new, new york. york but as i said i don't think we would move away somewhere if it were just a one-year position, like it would have to be some crazy awesome thing um, in order to do that. I mean, but it's hard because it's hard to get it's hard to get a tenure track job as your first. I guess I've already had one job, but it's it's sort of hard to jump into a tenure track position. You're lucky you got that Amherst thing, actually. Now that I think about it, that yeah. just like just from being an alumni, they're like, hey, you know, this is a big feather in your cap to like possibly help you out yeah. down the road. Totally, yeah. Like, I don't have any of that shit, but I mean, I don't really want it. As right. I just said, like, <laughs> right. I'd, be a, I'd be a terrible teacher, I think. Right. Oh, I don't um, know about that. 
I mean, that's interesting. Do you think there's like an order to do like, okay, so now you're kind of living with this contradiction, not contradiction, but yeah, I'm, you know what I mean? Like duality. Yeah. Like, a, like, yeah, like a, like a duality or, or you're kind of are going towards thing. Okay. Let's forget the movie stuff for now. I mean, yeah. I'm not saying that's not plausible or it couldn't work, but like we've been talking about like tenure track stuff and you have like a good, you had like a good thing at Amherst. So, which means I think right. you have a good trajectory of actually finding something, but now you're in a place where it's like, you have to be flexible about where you want to be. And you're in a position now where, okay, your wife is can only be in New York. Not can only be in New York, but it, it's like she would probably prefer to, you know, mm-hmm. do law where she would uh, have the bar. Right. And it's like, do you think there's like a good order to do things? Like, okay, first you... F- First, you kind of settle down and know where you're going to be. And like for if if you're going to be professor, you settle down, you know where you're going to be. And then that's when you like kind of like once you've settled, then you can start building something. And instead, you know, building building what? Building a personal life. Personal life. Okay, yeah. I think that the ideal situation is that we live here for a bit and I really feel very productive artistically and, you know, develop a really nice body of works and feel like artistically I'm really improving and get known and get press and all, all sorts of stuff like that. And then a really great job comes along and we move there for that job. And I'm able to maintain my professional life, my musical career, uh, in addition to teaching. So like I've already, I've sort of put in my time to develop the connections and get my name out there. Um, because I know that it's harder, that's a harder thing to do once you're teaching. So the ideal situation is that we're here. And it, it, actually, interestingly, it's sort of the same for Claudia and in New York. It's not just that she's taking the bar here, that this is the place to be, but it's that the best jobs for her are here. She's in immigration law. And in this upcoming year, she's going to be working for an organization. Um, but if she's like, we're moving to Arizona, I have work to do. Yeah. You'd be like, uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, no. Cause, well, the thing about, I mean, she would have work to do in Arizona, but there's probably not funding for it. The reason why places like New York are great is because there's a lot of money for her, a lot of organizations that have the the money, both public and private, to to do this sort of work. Um, and so she's doing um, asylum law and basically getting women who are survivors of domestic abuse, getting them um, asylum status for like to become citizens of the United States. Whoa. Um, so, yeah. So it's, Okay, so she's a good person. So, yeah, <laughs> okay. she's good. She's in the good law world. Um, but so but there are exciting jobs like that for her in, here in New York. And, you know, there are some of those jobs elsewhere in other cities, especially the big cities. But in general, she she wants to have experiences like this before we end up somewhere where she's like sort of has to take whatever jobs come available to her as a lawyer. You know, it's something that bothers me about what we do, though, is that if you're in a relationship, then it's like almost the other person has to be flexible because mm-hmm. our field is so small and specialized and especially in the states when it's something like a patronage right that's based upon a university in a specific location right it's you know it's not like you can you can get an accounting job anywhere yeah, you know that's but true. yeah yeah that you kind of have to just wait and then when an opportunity comes kind of ignore about you know ignore what the conditions are and what the location is and just take it because you don't know where the next one is going to come along. Right. If you're with somebody, you have to, it's, you don't have options to weigh. Yeah. You know, it's like, this is, this is going to work. I can't think of anything else that's going to work because maybe how many people do you think make it off of commissions in, right, yeah. in the U S yeah, and many. even, yeah, <laughs> even in Europe, it's no, it's not many, yeah. you know, it always requires like this, I don't know, this flexibility about like for the other person that you're with or like even like for my family, they're like, like we get to see you twice a year. Right. I'm sorry. This is where like for some reason it works. And then you do an interview with some guy in yeah, Brooklyn. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> like my mom was like feeding my uh, uh, my niece, you know, yeah. her granddaughter. And they're like, she's like feeding him like a banana. I'm like, I got to go. <laughs> <laughs> do an interview in New York or something. Yeah. I don't know. And it's just something that. I wish there was another way for us in this, you know, to to do that. Yeah, but it's cool that you have somebody with uh, you're with you're with somebody who's flexible in that way, and also is like in a also not. Can you imagine you were both composers? I know, yeah. uh, like aside from having yeah. like animosity towards one another, which is inevitable, <laughs> right. it would be impossible. Yeah, unless yeah, unless you're both super. I guess you know, Julie Wolf and Michael Gordon. Right, they made it work. Work. Yeah, but they're you know they're uber famous. So right, yeah. right. Okay, so let's start talking about your work. Cool. When I knew you, I mean, I know you now. But, yeah. When you knew me, when? But but, uh, uh, but when I saw you more often, you were just starting to get into like uh, Timberbrit happens. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe you want to talk about like Timberbrit a little bit and like 
I don't know. I'm, maybe I'm building a narrative for you, but for me, that's like when things started to go like a little bit in the crazy. direction that you're in the direction that you are now, which is yeah. crazy, which is good. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's true, actually. That I think that was a breakthrough piece in many ways for me. But so that uh, should I describe Timber Britt? Is that yeah? Describe that... Timber Britt. Okay. Um, so Timber Britt is a opera, a uh, fictional opera about the life of Britney Spears and Justin Timberlake, or I should say an opera about a fictional life about <laughs> Justin Timberlake and Britney Spears. I don't want to get sued. It's all fictional. Uh, so they, the idea is that um, it's a, a little bit in the future and Britney is in her last moments of life because she's sunken so low that she uh, is just at the point of death. And it's actually, this idea came about when she was having her meltdown and everything um, a few years ago. I remember uh, that's when I was still, I don't do, I don't like follow celebrity gossip websites yeah, anymore. Right. But I did it for a while because I wanted to witness a slow death like that. Yeah. And I was like, she's going to die. <laughs> right. Like, right. and like, I'm getting 10 to 10, like I'm getting like an update every 10 minutes about, about like, uh, you know. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Cause it's interesting you say that because it's when it started out, when I first had the idea, um, it was sort of fantastical. It was like, Oh, you know, what if we just took it really took it this far where she actually dies. And then a couple months into it, into when I was working on it, it was like, wait a second, this might actually happen. And this is not going to be as crazy as we originally thought. Um, but certainly she recovered. It's like you literally, you write, you write like a double bar and then (laughs) you turn on the news. Whoa, (laughs) man, I am a good composer. Yeah. That is some good composing. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so actually we had the idea after this first run, we were like, since she, came back around and everything it was like well why don't we make a real-time opera where we update it every time we have a performance we update it to like what's happening in real life and it would certainly it would still wouldn't be true but it would like reflect what's happening today uh we didn't actually do that but um it's a lot of work it's a lot of work yeah yeah <laughs> and it, you know it's only really been performed actually it's been performed three times now but oh i mean like um, to do an up to update thing yeah, for their performance you're like it. yeah great i gotta do uh you know right right new opera now yeah, yeah. new uh, opera where like she steps on her dog and kills it. <laughs> right. that's, what, <laughs> that's what happens yeah. in her life. So I actually started with the music before I had the idea for the opera um, because I had been I've been experimenting with slowing down music. I guess this was I don't know 2007 probably. This was a good good half decade ago now. Yeah, literally right around now because I was at a residency in Florida at the Atlantic Center for the Arts. I remember I had recently written a piece where I had slowed down this um, chant and I was like, oh, it's kind of cool. I like the way that went. So I started experimenting with doing it uh, with some popular music. And this sort of became a fad a couple of years ago, actually, when this guy did this with the Justin Bieber song and it like blew up all over the internet and went viral overnight. And I was like, man, I was there first. What the hell? But I, the, the music in Timberbit, I, it's not just slow down. It's like I do other stuff to it as well, and it sounds a little experimental and crazy. And but anyway, the, I mean, you oh. you were there first, but maybe you weren't there first. Yeah, you know? maybe there's someone <laughs> oh, who saw true. Timber Brit, and he was like, man. Yeah. yeah, I know. Like everyone else was like, yeah, this happened in like the well. Man, I remember slowing down Frank Sinatra. Right. Like, right. Well, I mean, day. Yeah, yeah, or like medieval, you know, organum slows yeah. down the chant, and like yeah. you know, yeah, it had certainly been done before. That's true. Yeah. So then I I, I started slowing down some popular music, and I was like, oh, this, there's some song I like made note of which songs I thought worked well and could conceivably use for, uh, you know, making some new pieces out of them. And then it just so happened that a few of the Britney Spears ones worked well. And then like some of the Justin Timberlake ones worked well. And I was like, well, why don't I make a story out of this with Justin and Britney in there? So that's, that's how the idea started and came with the music first. And then I hooked up with a Yuki Igarashi who I went to high school with, um, who's a, she's in the literary world. Um, she was doing her MFA at the time and, uh, she had, I knew some of her texts before for music and she said she was interested in the project. I knew that she was, we're sort of on the same page in terms of what we were into and everything. Um, we've been good friends and artistic friends for since high school. So it seemed like it made sense to, to work with her on that. Uh, and she, she hadn't done like a libretto before or anything, but essentially what she did was replace the lyrics with our new lyrics, um, which would tell the story. Um, that I described a second ago. Librettos must be so weird to write. Yeah. Can you imagine sitting down at like a desk and writing a libretto for... Yeah. And now you're like, oh, this sentence is going to take five minutes. <laughs> yeah. And like, you know, the, the, the pace of opera is so fucking slow. Right. You know, that right. it's like... Yeah. It must, be, it must be weird to try and keep that in mind and also be like, oh, God, th- that word cannot last five seconds. It's dumb or something yeah. like that. Yeah. You, know, you yeah, almost have certainly... to be super careful. Yeah. Right. And certainly there are a lot of words that lasted more than five seconds um, that were 
that we're dumb, but that that was sort of the point of it. Well, I mean, one of the re- one of the things that I found interesting about doing this pop music versus doing the chant that I that I had done in this earlier piece is that pop music is obviously known for being poppy and um, light and and breezy and like doesn't really linger on emotions or um, dramatic things for too long or maybe they're um you know superficially dramatic or something yeah. but uh whereas opera is the opposite it's very hyper emotional and really tries to pull your heartstrings with these very deep things and when you slow this pop music way down it takes on this operatic feel um it takes on the the feel of you know the climax of some famous opera or something uh so i really like this idea of putting these pop characters into this operatic world so there's sort of that tension between them but it's also the, come, the two come together in a way. And that's something that a lot of, I guess a lot of my work recently has tried to have, in some ways tried to reconcile this this studying I do of counterpoint and, you know, all the classics of music. You know, I'm like in a doctoral program and like you're supposed to know all about the history of music. But yet the music that I listen to actually most of the time is in the in the popular music realm or, you know, it's, it's produced today using band instruments and electronic yeah. instruments and everything. Same, so same, same. I think it's the same for most composers. I, I mean, think it is for most composers today. Um, and so d- Timber Britt is an example of something where I'm like, oh, I'm interested in this. I you know I'm still very much interested in the history of music, but like, how does that affect me today? Um, and I, I wasn't conscious of this at the time, but I think the Timber Root was one way for me to like tie these worlds together in a way. Do you feel a little bit like, because you listen to so much pop music and I'm the, you know, I'm the same way that not guilty, but it's like, I guess I'm more into pop music than I am. Right. By pop, you mean music. like popular, right? I or mean, do you mean like, like straight I'm, up pop? Like, do you mean like top 40 or you just mean like rock music? And, I mean like rock music. No, not top, not, not, not top, not top 40. Yeah. But, you know, like like bands or Aphex Twin or, you know, something that somebody walking down the street is going to have or might have an extended knowledge about. Well, I guess it's the same for, I don't know, classical music. But it's tricky. It's tricky to talk about these things. Yeah. 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 But it's like, okay, I guess this is really kind of what releases the dopamine in my brain. Right. So why do I feel like I'm coming from a tradition of this thing, which doesn't resonate with me as much? Well, at the same time, I, I very much value my classical training and my classical education, because I think that I and we have an advantage over people who have just gone to school for songwriting or sound That's true. production. We, or we are better. We are better at analyzing the thing that makes us like it. I think. Yeah, you know? I think that's true. Some people are just like, oh, this is great. I love that drum lick. And you can right. be like, oh, that, that's a really cool like polyrhythm right. or something like that. Right, yeah. yeah. And I think that I think that the more the more you know, the richer you can be. <laughs> I think that the music that I produce, even though the majority of the music I listen to now is not quote-unquote classical music, I think that all the music I write is informed by it in some ways. I still listen to Bach all the time. I, 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 st- I still is, I still listen to a lot of, I think there are very few classical composers that like hit my brain in, mm. s- in, you know, in the same way that, I don't know, a good, like a good band will do. But yeah. I mean, Bach yeah. is definitely, Bach best. Counterpoint actually, you right. know, I'm shitting on Counterpoint this whole time, right. is actually one of them. But it's also like how it's presented too. Do you know what I mean? It's like, or like going to a club and like sitting down and like having a drink and listening to a band is for me almost a more organic experience than going to a classical music concert. Mm. And, and I've been, and I've definitely gone to more classical music concerts than I have just, you know, bands. So, I mean, I'm just saying this because this is kind of what I liked about Timberbrit a little bit is Mm. that, I don't know, it's the kind of thing that you could have a drink with. And I kind of liked the way it was presented in the, like, the sounds in it and how you're supposed to like take it in is that it almost was like a hybrid and almost like created a type of atmosphere that served the music and also the people going for it in a better way. Yeah. That's something certainly that I was going for. Like I wanted, I wanted to retain the vitality of the original pop music in a way, um, make it operatic, but also, you know, still have the oomph behind it that, that popular music does. But I also wanted to make it sound unique. So it's still you know, not the kind of thing you'd, most likely not here on the radio. Um, and people, some people are still very averse to it. Some, you know, not untrained listeners have a little trouble listening to it. Um, whereas for me, I was like, oh, this is... Wait, say that again. I don't know. You just confused me with a double negative, I think. Oh. Some not untrained. No, no, no some untrained. Okay, uh, I meant to okay. say some not, and then I okay. rephrased it, untrained. Yeah, uh, <laughs> some play word untrained people, me. I think, were still a little, you know, turned off by the music. Why? Um, because it's still sort of loud and nasty or slow and nasty. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I guess it depends how you know how trained you are, or how much music. You, when I say trained, I mean like really how much music you've listened to and what sort of music you like. I don't think it's something that's necessarily radio friendly. I'm not talking about like radio friendly, but I'm talking about like if they're not trained, if they have a relatively open mind and then they know that they're going to something that's going to be experimental in a way. Yeah. Then like well, it's kind of hard totally. not to like you know. Yeah. Yeah. Then yeah. I get think, some drums in there. Get some beats going. Yeah, there is drums in there though, right? <laughs> yeah. David totally. Skidmore played drums. David Skidmore played in the original yeah. version. Yeah. yeah. And Ron, Ron Wiltrout played in the uh, the next version that we did. I guess because I think you were abroad when we did we did a version a couple of years ago coming um, up this November. I must have been abroad. Yeah. Yeah. Are you still trying to get it done? I'm not behind it myself trying to get it done. I'm not um taking the initiative on it. Uh, but this group actually found out about it and did it out in London this past year. Yeah. Um, really. Yeah. So that was really cool. Um. I didn't go out there for it. They didn't have the money to get me out there for it. Um, and so it was sort of just like, okay, you know, I like gave them the materials and I mean, they paid me a licensing fee and everything. Um, it sounded like it went pretty well. It was, it's cool that they took it on and they were into the project and everything. And I think they saw some things about it that we didn't initially really think of too much. Yeah. I don't know. It's hard, it's hard for me to actually talk about it artistically because I wasn't there and I read a couple of reviews, but um, I don't know. It's a, it, it's a very interesting thing to, when you're so involved in a project and, you know, I, I wrote it and I was, played the keyboard in it for this next version and um was heavily involved in the libretto i mean i didn't write it but i was there was a lot of back and forth with it and everything in the in the direction and stuff too for the next version uh and then so it's funny to just sort of ditch all that and like give it to someone and be like okay you guys do it and uh, we'll just see how that goes and it's i guess it takes a little courage but i think it takes more courage if you do that and then show up for the performance whereas i knew that i wasn't going to even be at the performance and i was like all right well whatever they're going to pay me and like look at the name out there <laughs> like i don't know how, it, how it's going to go but like we'll see how it is and, and in a way it's, of, it's it's always a good way to Whenever something like that happens, it's like, oh, I wonder how good my notation is. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. 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 And, and this like, thing is... Because if you're there, you can just be like, David, you know, just like, you know, not so much like bass or right. something like that. Totally. And maybe, maybe that's like a tendency that David has when he's playing the drum set. Or maybe you're notating it in a way that it just seems like they should be putting a lot of uh, right. bass. But if you're there at the moment, you can correct it. Right. But then once you just take a document and like email it to somebody and then it just happens, you're like, right. oh... Yeah. I fucked up the bass. Part. <laughs> yeah. 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 There was a lot of that. And um, it it was very collaborative. Writing the music was collaborative too, because working with Melissa Hughes and Ted Hearn on the vocals, like I, I knew that there, there were things that I didn't write that I knew they would do or like things that they started doing. I was like, yeah, that's cool. Keep that. And so like all that stuff was pretty much lost. I did, I did have the recordings. I did have a, a, some sort of recording for every track in the opera that I sent to the Carmen Electra is the name of the group. Pretty awesome. Uh, Carmen Electra. Car yeah. And it's, it's yeah. Carmen Electra. Exactly. But it's Electra, like the opera with K T R A. Um, so then they like produce, uh, you know, new operas and stuff. I wonder if that, what's it like? She was just, what, what did she do? Playboy. She's a playboy model. I mean, I guess she was a model, but, but she was, um, on, she was one of those TV actresses and like, she was also Oh, you're TV. a stripper on TV. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So this is like, you know, it's supposed to have the hipness of karma. It's really just a pun that I think is pretty funny. Did you write it thinking it would have legs? Because it, uh, so it, it, deal, it deals with an issue that everybody's familiar with. Right. It has a concept yeah. that everybody's familiar with. I mean, right. the, I mean, the concept of like people, people aren't like, oh, dodecaphonic stuff. You know, I know that. Right, but, right. but if you're like, I slowed it down. Right. Then people are like, yeah. oh, okay, it's that slowed down. It's right. like easy for them to understand it. When you were when you were writing it, you're like, this is something that could possibly have legs because it deals with something everybody knows. It uses a technique that everybody can be familiar with right away. If I put it out there and make it pragmatic enough with its actual application being like a not for you know a huge orchestra for like a small ensemble, then this is something right. that could possibly go to London and I don't have to be there. Initially, I never thought about other people doing it without me there. I think I did think about the accessibility thing that you were saying, or the resonance might be a better way to say it with people who, yeah, these ideas resonate. These are about people we know, the, the slowing it down. Yeah, that's like something that people can grasp pretty quickly. So those things were important to me. And that was part of the the whole uh, scheme at the beginning. Uh, but the, the idea of another group taking it on, I hadn't really thought about. I had thought about doing it with my own ensemble and being able to do it in other places. Um, but it just takes money, you know? <laughs> oh my God, does it take money? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Indeed. Well, I think, do you mind if I play a clip of that on this? Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Go for yeah. it.
where did I go from there? Um, well, one thing that I got into partly related to that um, was doing video work uh, because there was there was a multimedia element to Timberbread, these live video screens that are sort of like portraying these people's lives. You know, this tied into the whole idea of paparazzi following people around with their video cameras. So we like the idea of live having live feed on the performers. It's certainly something that's done fairly frequently now in, in present day productions, but it, it seemed to work well with this opera that these people's these people the performers were blown up and you know even bigger than they actually are in person um so i think that video element i mean i wasn't i didn't directly do the video myself but i think that that sort of got me thinking about video more and i did produce one project that i did as sort of an experiment um this would be a couple years now uh where i took a couple years ago now um i took a clip from the death scene in Carmen. Um, so this also obviously fits with the idea of death scenes and operas, um, which I actually wrote my MMA paper on. For those of you listening, MMA paper was the big paper I wrote when finishing up my coursework at Yale. So I wrote I wrote that on death scenes in opera and the suspension of musical time, like musical stasis during death scenes in opera, which is something that had to do with Timber Brit. That actually um, doesn't sound so boring. Yeah, yeah, it was actually, I think it I was... Mean, I, I say that because I've read MMA. I've read those papers before. I'm like, I want to die. Boring, yeah. Well, I think I'm going to stop reading this right now. I think it was not boring enough because I got, I was a little too involved with it and probably should have been writing more music and spending less time writing my paper. <laughs> Most people are very good at being like, whatever, why do I have to do this? I'm just going to like really not spend much time on it. And I think I got, I don't know. I, I guess it's good to get interested in these things, but then at the end of the year, I was like, "Wow, I just spent a lot of time writing that paper." And yeah, that also kind of that's that, like that attitude, not the one that you had, but the people that the other the other had, like whatever. Yeah. I just have to do this. That kind of shows like what a joke high degrees in the humanities can be, <laughs> which right. is like, oh, I want you know, I want to be able to teach, so I need to do this, but at the same time, right. I don't need to like, I'm not contributing to the field by right like. You well, know, I think if this paper, I think if one is if you're actually doing a dissertation in you know English literature, I imagine that you are you're probably not blowing it off. But because um, I mean that, that would yeah, be that's true. No, I think sorry, I think like, it's like okay. So music, uh, music, 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 music yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's not say the humanities. <laughs> you're right. Yeah, right. Music, and yeah. I'd say particularly music, the practice of music, because I feel like music theorists and musicologists will probably be very invested in their dissertations and stuff. But I think that yeah, for performers and composers, if like, like DMA, I think DMA requirements is often like you have to write a large paper, and then it's like, what the hell am I doing this for? So the video, I don't, I don't you probably haven't seen it. I guess I have seen it have seen actually. It. Okay, I, I, I did my nice. research. research. I don't know some background. That. Good. Yeah. In a way, it sort of slows down the scene but it it chops it all up too so that it, it takes like four frames at a time and just repeats them and then slowly progresses to five frames and like moves slightly ahead and i merged these two different um productions scenes from two different productions it was a fun experience to do because i i think i get sick of working in the same medium or working with the same ideas and video was that was sort of a new outlet for me and i was like oh it's cool i should start working with some video because it fits with some some of the things that I like to do in my own music. And there's music that I created out of this, this like very glitchy thing uh, I could have done just with audio, uh, but I don't think I would have arrived at the same end. Uh, it was specifically because I was using Final Cut to do this that I was able to cut things down by frames. And I started to like that sound a lot. And that, that sort of got me into the glitchy music and um, repetition of like micro cells and things. And this is something that I repeated in the audio world with my piece for accordion for Nathan Cosey, um, alter it alterum, which I, the first extensive, my first extensive use of max MSP program, max MSP, um, where I did it sort of a similar glitchy thing with, um, the bass and treble sides of his accordion, um, these like things going back and forth.
this affected any of your acoustic music like how do you do like a glitchy how do you do like a glitchy thing it's so much more difficult to execute yeah it's so much more difficult you can't can't do sharp cuts it makes it really hard to play it just becomes a fucking mess so easily yeah yeah i've i've been scared to do it for, for, for that i think um and it's actually funny i'm thinking now i think the last purely acoustic well, I know the last purely acoustic piece I wrote, but this is for Ensemble ACJW. But I think that that in the Deviant Septet. Um, but I think that that was the only one I've written in a, a couple of years, three years. I don't know. Like it's been a long time since I've written purely acoustic music. Does that um, scare you a little bit? It scare me in what way? That like I'm I'm but, narrowing I mean, my. Okay, so like uh, I was working with this dance troupe. You know, we base the music off of you know, rules and improvisations and like, and a couple of like boxes with material in it, Yeah, you know? And that's what I was doing for a while. Yeah. But at the same time, I was like, wait a minute, is this what I do? Or do I like write down notes on a piece of page and have right. and like make a document that is mine? God right. damn it. You know? Yeah. And it had been a while since I had actually had a chance to write for just acoustic instruments. Cause I was yeah. working with this dance troupe so much. And also I was in, I mean, also career wise, like at that time people, you know, were asking me to do other things and not write down music. And I was like, oh shit, am I going to slowly drift away from the thing that I originally loved in the first place, which is like writing down like dots on pieces of paper. Yeah. And that made me nervous. And then like things are picking up a little bit more with the acoustic stuff now. But I mean, did you get that? Are you like, oh, what do I do? Like, what am I doing? Or are you, are you okay with just like throwing that out the window yeah, and being I'm okay. like, oh, I do electronic, you know. I mean, it's interesting because I, sorry, I keep hitting the microphone. Um, it's interesting because from a purely composition, from the composition stance, I don't mind it at all. Um, I've been very interested in electronic, the electronic media, and, and that's really driven me lately. Um, from a teaching standpoint, I think that I worry a little bit more about losing my edge that way. I mean, I think, you know, you know, you know how to write for instruments and you sort of don't forget that. You don't forget how to teach how to write those things, but there's a little bit of me that's like, uh, if I'm not writing for acoustic instruments much, like you still need, if you're going to teach a composition seminar, you need to know how to be able to teach that stuff. So I think if I'm not as directly related to it, then I do worry about it in that sense a little bit. Oh, but, some, some guy in the committee would be like, oh, he doesn't do what we need to be taught or something like that. No, it's not even so much what other people would think about it. It's just sort of in my own thinking about teaching and how um, if I'm not as personally connected to these instruments, like can I get the students to be connected to them? But the ma- I mean, the main project I'm working on now, if we want to segue into that, uh, is for electronic track and voice. So that's I think that's part of why right now, like is you're, you're talking to me today and my mind is very focused on the electronic stuff. I think it's probably because my main project now is doing this these series of songs for Melissa Hughes. Yeah, this, and that's what you sent me, right? This thing I sent you, yeah. So I think that that's probably... I think that probably when I'm done with this project, I'll be like, man, I never want to like touch software synths again. Like, <laughs> get me out of that world. I want to write some acoustic stuff. Um, but for right now, at least, I'm like, oh, this is cool. I want to, I want to work on this for a while. Talk about the electronic stuff with uh, Lissa Hughes a little bit. Yeah. So I, 
Um, You've been working with her forever. I have been working with her forever. Yeah, we took a music history class together at Yale my first year there, our first year there. And uh, that was my first experience with her. And then I hadn't heard her sing yet, but then I remember hearing her sing and I was like, wow, that's awesome. And I had been obsessed with her voice or had been very into using her voice. And it's been great because lately she's been getting a lot of um, press and, you know, it's been been becoming known as a really good new music specialist and uh it's it's nice that i i sort of had that intuition earlier i was like oh she's great i'm gonna use her and then like slowly people get to know her and they're like oh she's great we're gonna use her and now she's getting a lot of great got in on the ground floor yeah unfortunately she still likes working with me so <laughs> she's out <laughs> even when i get her the pieces the day before the performance so she had a recital a little over a year ago and basically realized that she needed another piece to, to fill the concert and asked me to write something for her and I only had a month to do it and I decided that I you know it's very scary to write for just a solo voice and voice and piano I was sort of like yeah I don't really want to do voice and piano I'm so- it's like you picture <laughs> like you pictured it in your head and I'm like oh that's so lame yeah oh that's lame it's yeah. like really am I gonna find a chord that's gonna be like a really nice right. piano I mean, chord I have and, the and everybody's gonna like be transcended <laughs> from like the lameness of a fucking like voice and piano concert yeah, yeah. or I can have the pianist stick his hand inside the piano and then uh Hit, touch some harmonics now it's like no i'm not gonna do that um so sort of piece that has that all the time <laughs> you just <laughs> nice. made me i was like great i gotta take that out now <laughs> like, yeah take it out um so so i figured out writer for voice and track and she actually did have some couple other pieces on the program that were for for that instrumentation um that she's i knew was familiar with working with amplification and singing into a microphone and everything and using a click track so i decided to do it for voice and track and then since I had a very short amount of time, I figured, why don't I just use a haiku because uh, haikus are nice and short and they're easy to set and I don't need to worry about permission because they're old. Um, at least the original language is old. You get a uh, cease and desist letter from like a 3,000 year old <laughs> Japanese, like, Japanese man. man. Yeah. You're like, wow. Uh, so I was like, this will be easy. I won't have to worry about all that. But then the poem I took I had actually read when I was um, doing research for that paper, I was mentioning the uh, paper on death scenes in opera. And it was the um, epigraph to a an article and someone, it was this poem by Basho, this haiku by Basho, how delicately the silver threads of rain sow sky to the earth. And I read that and I was like, wow, that's beautiful. I really like that. And I, I thought of haikus as always thought of haikus as just being like existing for fifth graders to write poetry and not actually having to write on their own or, you know, it's like being very cheesy. And that's, but that's how we learn. We learn in fifth grade. Right. Yeah. yeah. So that, cause they are easy to write, I guess, um, or, or a simple one or a mediocre ones easy to write. But so I read that and I was like, Oh, it's really beautiful. I never thought about that. So I sort of jotted it down and was like, you know, maybe that's, that's a good thing to know. I'll keep in my back pocket. So this opportunity came up and I was like, Oh, why don't I use that haiku? That's perfect. And then I was like, well, I should go back to the source. So I like found the journal article and then that was like citing a different article. So I like found that article, found the footnote, the reference, and it was in this book that I went to and it wasn't there. The poem wasn't there. And I was like, what the hell is that on this page? That's so weird. What? Like, you know, I looked at like different editions of the book in case that was written wrong. It just wasn't there. Uh, so then I emailed the person who had written this journal article, like thinking there's no way they would get back to me. Um, and he wrote back pretty soon after and was like, oh, that's really strange. I don't know why that reference is off. Um, I don't have that book with me any longer, so I don't know what the deal is. I was like, that's strange. Then I go to the complete works of Basho, because the complete haiku of Basho, because it's like, there, there are only so many. It's not going to be, it won't take me that long to read the complete haikus from them. So I read all of them, and they're not in there. It's not in there. And I'm like, what the hell? How could the, where did this haiku come from? So then I emailed the person who translated the complete works of Basho, the complete haikus of Basho, not a, expecting that she won't get back to me. She writes back to me like a couple hours later and she's like, I don't know that poem. That's like really, it wouldn't be by him because he doesn't write like that. Like it's a full sentence and he would never write in full sentences. And and she's like, yeah, I don't, my guess is that it's someone just wrote that and then pretended that it was by someone else. It's like reverse plagiarism or something. <laughs> like, oh, really? Pretended, I'm sorry, pretended that it was by Basho so that it like looked like it was a, you know, a famous poem or something rather than like Joe Schmo wrote it in 1970. So I guess this poem, I just say now that it's attributed to Basho, but I don't know who it's by. But when I had finished the piece, I, I was really happy with the way the music had gone and I like wanted to have some other pieces with it. But this whole thing made it very difficult. Like, you know, it's not really by him. Like what what kind of works do I pair it with? It seemed like it didn't really make sense to pair it with other haikus because like you can only really have so many songs that are based on haikus that are effective, I think. Uh, and I sort of wanted to be inspired to take 
the music in a different way. And then I thought about, oh, maybe I pair it with like some Western stuff. And then everything I thought of was just like, that's oh, really cheesy. I can't, I can't do that. So I had this dream of being able to work with living poets and have them write new stuff for me that's like a reaction to this original poem and was able to get hooked up with a friend of a friend, um, Dora Malik, who's a great poet. And she was really into the project and we collaborated together for another song and she's getting a lot of other people involved. And I've now written two ones in addition to Silver Threads. Kristen Kelly wrote this the text for the latest one. And I'm hoping to get about six or seven total and then have a full album for it.
how do you choose the sound of the electronics? You know, I like all the stuff I've listened to had a kind of a very common technique, a constant pulse, mm. electronic sounds that, well, I guess it's hard to make electronic sounds that are not familiar at this point, but mm. I'm just wondering how you got that, uh, how you chose that material. I guess a lot of the things I search for in my music are somewhat familiar, but also interesting or different, you know? So it's not like, totally from left field but it's something that we just don't hear every day all the time so i think that's the kind of stuff those kind of sounds i got interested in but it's interesting that you're asking about this because i i really feel like when writing these songs and even doing this the soundtrack a little bit that i'm working on now it's really not about like the notes that i write are not that interesting at all it's really just all the sounds like i mean yeah it's really just the timbre i mean it's totally i think one thing that interests me about electronic music is that it's it's really all just timbral composition um like silver threads, for example. I mean, I have some some seventh chord, some seventh chords I use in this keyboard part, and it's like you know, okay, seventh chords, that's great, and I would play like descend, um, and that's really not that interesting at all, and wouldn't be that interesting to listen to necessarily. But it's all about the the sounds that I choose, what plays those seventh chords, and how I filter them, and what sort of delay I put on them, and everything that I think that's really what makes interesting and what's pleasing to the ear, and I think that's how people listen a lot today uh and i think there's a reason why at least like top 40 music it's all it's not produced by bands anymore it's all really just produced by someone on a computer right it's like you think about any of those any of that music where you can have so much control over the timbre and i think that's probably why i'm attracted to that because everyone is it's all around us can't you have it both ways do you feel like if you were like were, were to like fuck around with the notes a little bit or even fuck around with the pulse do you think that would take people's attention away from the timbre and ruin it or? no no i don't think so i think that that's for me just a personal taste decision that i um i think i tend to be pretty minimalist in terms of my construction of these things um i don't know i i like being in one key and staying in that key you know i mean it, you don't feel the tonality because it's not like there are five one chords happening but um generally i at least lately i write a piece and modulating doesn't really befit the work um i mean there is some you know there there can be some sort of a modal shift in a way and that happens and there's a a lot of these songs that i'm working on have a usually have a duality between the um the major and the relative minor or vice versa you know it's like there there's there you don't feel like you're necessarily in one key but you are given like a set of pitches so in a way they are more modal than anything i guess do you feel like you're working with like this wash of sound you know and you're like okay this is what the color is going to be for this whole song and then you're like, okay, that's the song. Okay, here's the next song. This is what the color is going to be for this whole song. It's not going to change within that. No. Do, do you think in chunks like that? I mean, or I think... do you think like each song has its own, like each song within that song, it could drastically change mood? Oh, yeah. No, I'm, I haven't really done anything where I drastically change mood. I think if there is drastic change, if there will be drastic change ultimately in this project, it will be between the pieces. And I'm I'm shooting for that now and I haven't everything that I end up writing is sort of like still just sort of chill and, and a little ambient. But I do want to write a really loud and crazy one. Is it um, difficult but I don't think is it difficult to get away from that? I mean, do you do you feel like the way electronic works, electronic music works, it just mm. automatically pushes you in that direction? Yeah, it's an interesting question. Uh, I don't I think it, it might automatically push me in that direction. Um, and I, I don't think it necessarily pushes everyone in that direction. But um, I think that the the things that I'm attracted to are probably easier to do that way. Um, but I have been, I'm, I'm aiming for doing some loud stuff. It certainly won't be, happen like within a piece. There won't be like surprises. I don't think I'll do that. I mean, maybe that that, that is one thing that I've, I've sort of ditched in my music that I, I miss a little bit, or at least I still appreciate in other people's music is when there are these, these sudden changes, because it's something that I have done in music before but i I don't know at the same time there you know with this album if i if i ultimately do want to make an album out of it it might just seem weird to have a piece that's in a totally different mood i think that's always a there's always a push and pull between like how much diversity you have in a collection of works and how much you want them to be sort of in the same mood but how much you want them to sound also like a drastic change like now it's time for the sad part i mean that can also be (laughs) right you know that can also be cliche and predictable yeah and predictable yeah so it automatically pushes you in a direction do you have like a plan to push back do you know what i mean it's like oh this is making me do this i have to do this so i don't do this yeah um i i I sort of at least for these first three songs is just sort of accepted it when it's come and i haven't pushed back um but i think as i start to write more of them and i realize that i have several of them that are in the same world i will push back farther in general i don't do I guess I used to push a lot more than I do now. Um, I, I think that 
when I was experimenting more with my voice and figuring out what kind of music I wanted to write, I would push myself to do things all the time. And I've sort of gotten bored with that and, or not bored with it, but I've sort of realized that I'm not going to create my best music that way. And the music that I like to listen to the most that way. Uh, so I should just, this is the stuff that I want to write. I should just write this stuff. And, and I ultimately think that it goes well. So I'm like happy to be in that world. And I think that being, I think that being out of school has been pretty important for me in that respect. And that, um, you think, don't, you, you think being in the academic world puts you in a position position where you would have to challenge yourself in ways that you thought were counterproductive? I wouldn't say counterproductive. Uh, I would say that I think that they were quite productive for me to be doing that at the time. But I think that I, I was encouraged, not necessarily directly, but I felt like I was in school, especially early on, and figured I should write a piece that I've never done something like this before. I should try to do that. Um, and I think that time has sort of passed for me. And I think that being in school... You know, I loved the teachers at Yale and got a lot out of them. But I also think that in a way, they they ultimately, at least at this point, I think it would be bad for me to be taking lessons from someone like Martin, who would probably, be, I don't think he loves the music that I write now. Like, I don't think that he, I think that it, it's not interesting enough for him in a way. You know, I think that it, I think it's a little too minimal for him. And uh, I'm happy with it. And a lot of people who listen to it are happy with it. Um, it's good for me to be writing this sort of music. And I think that if I were taking lessons with someone like him, he'd be encouraging me to do these other things. And the thing he's like, he's that. such a, you know, he has such a large personality that you want to please him too. Right. You know? right so totally. I'm like, Oh my, yeah. like he, <laughs> I must be getting better because like this brilliant guy is happy with what I'm doing. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I felt the same way in any institution that I was in. Like if I thought somebody was a brilliant, well-spoken professor, yeah, then subjectively liking my stuff, was a vindication. Yeah. And totally. like their subjectification, since I respected them so much, was somehow objective in my view. I'm yeah. like, oh, if he likes it, then it must be good because right. he's so such a smart guy. Yeah. And I think that's why I mean I think everyone's like that with your parents early on in life, you know, and then you sort of open up and you realize, oh, there are there are other opinions about these things. Do you think that you didn't have to go to school? Or I mean like can you understand why I would ask that question after you just like explained, <laughs> explained that? Well, to no, because I think that it was really formative for me and really important for me to, to find the kind of music that I wanted to do. And if I hadn't experimented with all these different styles that I was encouraged to experiment with, then I, I think I wouldn't be as confident writing the music but, that I'm writing now. Yeah, but there's also a gigantic, you know, uh, landscape outside of academic institutions that push you and pull you and challenge you. And true. And you know, if you're doing the type of thing where you're like. Oh, I resonate more with pop music again, not top forty. And you know, I'm doing things based on things that are happening in the pop world, like Timberbrit. Then it's kind of a square peg, round hole situation if you're going into an academic institution that makes you teach counterpoint and stuff like that. Uh, oh, so you're talking now now about teaching? Um, no, I'm not even talking about teaching. I'm talking about you as a student in the institution. Right. Like you also had to study those things. Right. Well, yeah, I think as I said before, I've I very much have valued my education and think that all of the music that i write is somehow informed by this by this history of music uh, i mean that sounds very lofty but i think that i i mean counterpoint is hugely important for the music i write more more so than a lot of other stuff like that's a, a good example because even this this string quartet that i wrote for the calder quartet recently it's this really loud obnoxious thing i mean i mean i wouldn't really say obnoxious but the um this one blogger wrote afterwards that said it was like your head is shoved in a turbine with a buzz saw cutting it off or something like that so it's, it's this very loud thing but uh that's amazing because i would read that and i'd be like wait was that a good review or a bad <laughs> yeah, review? yeah yeah <laughs> like, i'll chalk that one I'm up like, for the uh yeah i was like oh my I mean, that's kind of what I was going for. Right, and I'm sorry right. that it made you unhappy, but <laughs> yeah. I guess I'm good because that's what I'm. Because that's wanted. what I did. Yeah. yeah. Um, but even that piece, which is you know, 25 minutes of this stuff happening, is very contrapuntal in a way. Uh, and if I if I didn't have that training of of learning species counterpoint and even and teaching it too, I think then I don't think that that would that be that would that wouldn't be in my music. I don't think I'd have that knowledge and that ability to do that sort of stuff. Yeah. Okay. But let's okay. So let's just say there's but then there's definitely like a finite amount you can get out of the institution and i'm, I'm just I'm, I'm just making an assumption about you so i mean stop me if you think that's wrong you know you learned counterpoint and all these kind of important things that you apply now but at the same time you you said and then once i got out right is when i finally right realized what i am and what my groove is right well that's that's also like once i got out of high school i really feel oh, like man come on I, <laughs> please coming after us um 
yeah, I mean, what I would say to that is just that I, I, f- I feel like I found my groove, but I also felt like I needed that time while I was in school. Um, like I, I wouldn't have been the same had I skipped over that portion of being in school. It's not like I was dying to find my groove right away. It was that I needed that time in school to, to learn these things and to experiment with these different things. And then once it ended, it's something that I didn't really consider it happening, but I became more confident in my music and more sure of what I was doing and more okay writing a lot of music in this style. I think that the timing worked out well in that in that respect. I, and I was in school for a while. I, did, I didn't do... Um, I didn't go to conservatory as an undergraduate, as we said, I went to Amherst uh, and I didn't start writing until my senior year of college. So it was good for me to be at Yale for so many years and to do the master's and the artist diploma and the MMA and everything um, because it I needed a little more support, I think, and, and more guidance during that time. But what would have happened? There's always like the what if, like what would have happened if I didn't do that? If, you, if I hadn't done that? Well, yeah, yeah it is interesting Where would too I, because... I mean, you know, I mean, that's an impossible question to ask yourself or like right. a useless question to ask yourself. No, no, but it is interesting. And I, in the year that I took off, I took off a year between my artist diploma and the MMA. And that year was the year I wrote Timberbrit. And I would not have, or that I started to write Timber, you know, that we had the first performance. Um, and I don't think I would have had the time or the encouragement self-encouragement to do that project had i been in the academic strictly in the academic world at that time so that is a that is a fair point yeah before um, that you were slowing down just again yeah i know yeah. and then i was like yeah let's go pop. I, was like, I don't want to slow down just again i want to <laughs> yeah. slow down this yeah. yeah it's true well i think that's a good place to leave it cool awesome thank you for uh doing this yeah thanks so much dan it was really good